Oh, man, I'm sorry. He had the conch in his hands. Know, you know, in a couple more minutes, who knows what might have happened. Perhaps. I am never going to see a merman. Ever. Dude, be thankful. Those things are terrifying. The cleanup on them is a nightmare. Under the sea. Under the sea. Everything is scarier. When the fish people are in your area. Under the sea. I can't believe they made me sing that. Spoiler and content warning. This podcast is not suitable for children or those who are easily disturbed. Spoiler warning for Mermaid Saga. And now for the obligatory socials. Please like, share and subscribe. Follow Daniel at DStarSick on Twitter. Follow Ryan at Darth Damio on the Bluebird app. You can find the podcast on Twitter at HorrorPod69. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Slasher and Goodreads. Become part of the Disturbed community by asking for the Facebook group and Discord links. Enjoy our gaming content on YouTube. Send dick pics to the Horror of Babylon podcast at gmail.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash the Horror of Babylon. And finally, you can let your friends know that the Horror of Babylon is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast apps. Stay scary. Welcome to episode 29 of the Horror of Babylon, where we will be discussing Rumiko Takahashi's Mermaid Saga. I am Ryan, and with me as always is Daniel. Say hi, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. And our good friend, Hef, is with us tonight. Say hello, Hef. How y'all doing? Good to be here. All right, we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. I just lost our outline. There it is. So first, we have been branching out a little bit into some other content. So we just want to take a minute to let you guys know what else we have going on. First, Hef is doing a Let's Play on our YouTube page of Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Those are available every Wednesday at noon. We're going to drop episodes every week until they're completed. And Hef, you just want to talk for a minute about you know why, why you decided on that game and what it's like. Uh, short version is that uh, I know you all kind of already had the channel established, so I just kind of wanted to add a little bit to you know give some promotion to the channel. I think this is an excellent thing. It's a uh, it's got me to read more, like a whole lot more, which I'm appreciative of. So I like to kind of give back. Uh, in addition, uh, amnesia seemed natural because uh, back in the uh, earlier days of YouTube. Amnesia was kind of the place that a lot of the Let's Players and the big people that are on YouTube now started. And I figured kind of walk, you know, walk the path of legend, if you will. Just kind of keep something up to, you know, give us a little bit more, you know, word of mouth out there. And uh, I think most people, you know, have come to a generational gap where, you know, they're looking for more nostalgic things. And Amnesia, I think, is kind of the nostalgia of YouTube if you're really going back in time. So... That's why I chose that one. I just like the way you said walk the path of legend. It's great. I was wondering, if you're a big player in the Let's Play community, are you a Let's Play player? I think they just call themselves Let's Players. Hmm. Okay. Also, we just completed three live streams of Doki Doki Literature Club. The replays of those are available on our YouTube page. 
And you can also listen to just the audio in our podcast feed where we we voice the characters as several different voices. So it's it's very entertaining. And I am doing a Let's Play live stream of Telltale's The Walking Dead with my daughter Emma as well. The first video of that is up on our YouTube page. And then also we released a bonus episode two weeks ago of a short story I wrote called Meat. I love it. Yep. And I read it out in sort of an audiobook style that's available on YouTube and in the podcast feed as well. So just... One of these days I'll convince him to write a novel. It's not so much uh, an issue of motivation as it is a time. A, yeah, an yeah. issue of time. <laughs> feel that. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into our main topic. We're talking about Mermaid Saga, which is a horror fantasy manga by renowned manga artist Rumiko Takahashi. Uh, so I'll kick us off here. We're just going to talk about our, our history with it. So I bought this manga in high school. Like the rest of the world, I, I was a huge Inuyasha fan when it had come on Adult Swim and in the first couple of years it was on. It was like the number one thing for me for a long time. So I was ready to jump onto anything that had her name on it. Uh, so I bought all four volumes of it in high school, read it, liked it, kind of put it down, didn't think about it again really until recently, a couple of years ago, where I had a job in a call center and it was in the middle of the winter and we were very slow, had a lot of time between phone calls. So I was reading a lot of manga and I reread Mermaid Song and it was just kind of like, wow, this is way better than I remember it. This is so good. And then I, I reread it again for this podcast and maybe liked it even more than I did the last time. Uh, what about you, Hef? What's your experience with the mermaids? Uh, well, my experience was I borrowed said manga that you bar that you bought in high school. Kind of the same deal. Um, you know, you know, Yasha was real big back then, and uh, we were really kind of going pretty ape as far as like buying just pretty much whatever manga that was on the shelves. Yeah, basically every dollar I had went into <laughs> manga. And it was basically the same for me. And uh, between he and him, between him and me, I think we probably we could have probably marketed an entire library based on manga. I mean, we we did. We basically it, like our whole high school anybody who was interested in reading manga, they borrowed it from one or one of the two of us. I'm mostly. surprised we got back as much as we <laughs> lent out, honestly. Funny you say that. The only thing I ever lost was Mermaid Saga Volume 2, and I had to rebuy it. Hmm. I can't think I can't think of one that I never actually got. Oh. No, I guess technically I do remember. It was Rave Master. Yeah. The irony, of course, being that JT kept it, and then he was like, I'll just buy more, guys, and then he never did. Yeah. And we had to start over again. I did have a few Sergeant Frogs completely trashed by a mutual friend of ours, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, as far as Mermaid Song itself, uh, like I borrowed it from you, uh, we were still new in the manga back then. I didn't, I'm like you, I didn't think a lot of it too much back then, but at the same time, I wouldn't consider my reading depth, even with manga back then, like to be really something to appreciate. It was more just oversaturation, I guess. Like you just get you just read so much that everything kind of blends together and there's things you like there's things you don't like and mermaid saga kind of filled that place in the middle that was just like i didn't dislike it but i didn't really 
have a strong affinity to it either. But I found it's a series that, as you get older, you appreciate it more. Like I, I reread them from you recently, and I like them so much more as an adult. Like with a better perception of like reading depth. So that's really my history with it. Agreed. Daniel? Uh, my history with it is I was uh, getting like really into manga in college. Like I was starting to read more. And I was looking for a specific uh, manga called School Mermaid, but I couldn't remember the name at the time. So I was talking to uh, Ryan here about it, and I was like, I'm looking for this uh, horror manga about mermaids. <laughs> and he goes, oh, is it Mermaid Saga? I was like, what the fuck's Mermaid Saga? <laughs> <laughs> and so I tell him about the one I'm looking for, and he's like, oh, no, no, this one's about this. And I go, there's two fucking horror mangas about mermaids. <laughs> Let me shove this in your face. <laughs> At least. And so I read it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoy a lot of her work. Uh, one Pound Gospel is probably my favorite. Oh, bro. It's up there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's high. It's we, high. We need to gush it after a little bit, but when we're on topic. <laughs> but, uh... Other than that, this is my second time reading it. Uh, I really enjoy the stories. I have like little nitpicky criticisms, but that's just my personality. Other than that, I don't have a lot more to say. The vampires are pure myth, superstition. I may be able to bring you proof that the superstition of yesterday can become the scientific reality of today. Jumping into background on Mermaid Saga, the actual title in Japan is Ningyo Shurizu, which directly translate as Mermaid Series. Viz decided to go with the English title of Mermaid Saga. So a little bit on Rumiko Takahashi. She is probably, she's definitely one of the most celebrated manga artists in Japan, hands down. Probably the most famous female manga artist. Uh, she was born in October of 1957. She's from Niigata in Japan. Uh, she's one of the best-known artists. It has a lot of huge awards. She's won the Shugakukan Manga Award twice, once for Urusei Yatsura and once for Inuyasha. She's also won the Seiun Award for Urusei Yatsura and for Mer Mermaid Saga. And she's also been honored at the Grand Prix de la Ville d'Angoulême. And I'm sorry, I'm not good <laughs> with French. That's a very prestigious French comic award. And she's the second woman only to be awarded that and the second Japanese person to ev ever win. Some other people you may have heard of who've gotten this award are Will Eisner, Art Spiegelman, Katsuhiro Otomo. <laughs> She has also gotten the Purple Ribbon by the Japanese government, which is essentially like the Japanese equivalent of being knighted by the Queen for having a contribution to the arts, like Sir Ian McKellen was knighted for being the best actor ever. Huh. Good for her. So Mermaid Saga is, is an anthology series of nine different stories told in 16 different chapters. It was originally published from August of 1984 to February of 1994. It was published in Shonen Sunday Super originally, and then it moved to Weekly Shonen Sunday. Shonen Sunday Super is a sister publication of Weekly Shonen Sunday, and Weekly Shonen Sunday is maybe the biggest manga publication magazine in Japan other than Shonen Jump. 
if you're not familiar with how manga is generally published in Japan, instead of having single issue comic books come out and on a monthly basis like we do here have here in the United States. For, so for instance, if you're reading the current Batman, you normally either get one or two issues a week and it's, you know, the 20 to 25 page comic book that you're familiar with. In Japan, they come out as published magazines and a lot of them are on a weekly basis. So these manga artists are, are producing these things weekly in some cases monthly it just depends on what you're talking about and shonen sunday is one of the biggest ones it's been around for a lot of years so long in fact that osama tezuko is one of the artists that published and it's big long-running title that it's had for years one of the biggest manga maybe the biggest manga other than one piece in japan is detective conan that is that still going it's still going <laughs> uh still publishing in weekly shonen sunday uh, and some other notable series from the Shonen Sunday Super book that uh, Mermaid Saga started in, Birdie the Mighty, Peacemaker, Cat and Gamer. Oh, Peacemaker, James Gunn. Yay. Yeah, different. Oh. Uh, <laughs> different so, very different. Uh, so this was first published in English in 1993 in the March issue of An America, which was the short-lived American magazine that had some manga published within it. It was published by Viz Media, who's had the rights to Mermaid Saga for since 1993. Uh, the, mo the magazine only serialized the first two story arcs, and then the rest of the series was published as comic books, as in like 20 page, 20, 25 page legit comics. Like those books. old Dragon Ball comics they used to release? Yes, and like the Pokemon ones. Oh, and, yeah. Yep. I still have a whole stack of the Pokemon ones. I do too. Uh, eBay. I don't think they're in good enough condition. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, Viz released the first English trade paperbacks in three volumes from 1994 to 1997, and they were titled Mermaid Forest, Mermaid Scar, and Mermaid's Gaze. And then Viz Media republished them in a four series under the title of Mermaid Saga in July 14th of 2004. <laughs> And that's kind of where we got on board. Those are the editions that I bought. Mm -hmm. And if you were going to buy these now, Viz has re-released them in 2020 in a two-volume collector's edition. Oh, my God, 2004 was almost 20 years ago. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're old. Oh <laughs> and uh, there are three anime adaptations of this manga, which we normally we do adaptations directly after reading a book. We are going to cover these, but... Not yet, because we, we're going to have to get on Salem's lot soon mm -hmm. in order to get it done before the new movie, but we will cover these down the road. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump into structure and themes. So I'm going to kick it to Daniel to start off. This is an anthology format, meaning instead of one continuous stories, it's a bunch of little stories stapled together. And this is, I believe this is the first anthology that we've covered here on the Horror of Babylon. Yeah. 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 So. I had to think about it for a second. No. I, <laughs> so how does that format affect the overall storytelling for you? Um, I mean, personally, I like it. I can see some person maybe not being used to that and going, why are we all of a sudden like feudal Japan or something like that? But for me, I like, uh. It lets you get like little pieces of character history and saying how they've become who they are right now 
and it lets you set it in different time periods. The whole premise really lets you just play with when you can set it and what you can do with the story. Yeah, you basically it's like, okay, we have to involve our main character, Yuda, mm-hmm. and it has to be about mermaids in some way. Other than that, go nuts. Yeah. Do you have thoughts? I do. Um, so the anthology format, I, it, it does work for this one because it is a story of, of immortals. So time is kind of... T- time, time is a perception in, mm-hmm. this, in this particular series, especially with you to himself. Most of the times where you can tell it's an anthology format are when it involves Yuta because he's... He's not only our main character, but he's been the immortal for like 500 years. Whereas Mana, whenever she's introduced in the actual like first chapter, she's not an immortal yet. She's not like actually integrated into the idea of being somebody who has existed throughout this time period as an immortal. So I think the anthology thing works as better character building for Yuta rather than an overall concept for the structure of the story. And then, Daniel, you touched on this a little bit, Mm -hmm. but what are some of the pros and cons of the stories that are presented in Mermaid Saga being given to us in a non-chronological order? It can take some people aback. You know what I mean? Uh, As a Star Wars fan, no, I don't know (laughs) what you mean. Especially if they've not read like an anthology that's structured like this before that goes back and forth to different time periods. They might get a little lost, a little confused at first. I really don't think it's that bad in this case. Um, that's a, I, that's probably the biggest weakness I could mention. I don't think it necessarily has a weakness in that aspect, mainly just because, and I don't know if this is on your notes at all, but I, I feel like it's important to bring up. It's noted somewhere, I don't remember where, it might actually be in the books themselves. Uh, Takahashi did these non-serialized, like, she did these in her spare time. Where the fuck she found spare time, I have no idea. But, like, she, it, it was noted in there that all all of the stories from Mermaid Saga were something she did because she wanted to, mm-hmm. not necessarily because she was under restrictions. So I think she, I think this format works better for the stories because they are stories that she wanted to tell. The time itself doesn't necessarily make it relevant to the story she wanted to tell. Basically, she would have these different ideas of horror elements that she could introduce whenever she wanted to Mm -hmm. because she wasn't stressed under the pen of time or basically having restrictions where she had to do this weekly. So I think that actually makes it a lot more fruitful and better for the audience themselves. And the audience themselves, really, the biggest thing they need to know is introduced in the first couple chapters. Here's Yuta. Here's his struggle. Here's Mana. Here's her struggle. Everything after that, it's, it's each one's its own story. So I think it works. So as we jump into themes, I want to give just a little bit of background on the story in case we have any listeners who haven't actually read this manga. Because it is probably, even though you can go to just, you know, a Barnes Noble or whatever and buy this, it is going to be a little harder to get a hold of than if you're just reading The Stand or The Mist or, Mm -hmm. you know, any of the books that we've read. So... It is a story about mermaids. One of the huge themes is immortality, yeah. as you've heard both Daniel and F talk about. The basic premise of this is that you can eat the flesh of a mermaid and either 
be that one in a thousand person who becomes an immortal and then you got to wander Japan forever getting into crazy adventures or it'll kill you or it'll turn you into a monster which we'll talk about all those basic things soon Um, but a little bit on the theme of immortality Uh, the theme of immortality is one that comes up like a lot in fiction and usually it's always portrayed as a bad thing it's not really any different here Uh, especially because when the human mind tries to think of time it thinks of it in years maybe decades well now all of a sudden these people are living for centuries and they're seeing everyone that they know everyone that they love die all around them and it really kind of presents us a sort of a bleak atmosphere to where you start to yearn for mortality just to be human again. One key thing that I, I want to point out, though, so our main character, Yuda, is searching for a mermaid that can take away his immortality. Mm-hmm. However, he doesn't want to die. Yeah. He, he doesn't want to just commit suicide. He wants to live a life people who are immortal because of mermaid flesh can die by having their heads taken off Mm -hmm. but his goal is to lose his immortality and then live a normal life and die of old age yeah he he's already lived for 500 years he doesn't just want to end it this isn't a vampire walking into the sun no what was the question (laughs) so what are any comments on the theme of immortality or what are some other themes from the book that you want to touch on? There's a little bit of contention I have with the immortality in the story. Yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting concept in that like much like I'm not gonna reverberate what Daniel said because I mean most of the time in fiction it is brought up in a negative connotation and it is here as well. <sighs> It's tough for me to like get too deep in on it without going into Coons Land, <laughs> um, but I will say that the I like the way that they present the immortality. Like, there's still an air of you're immortal, but you're not indestructible. Yeah, and I think that's important in a batch of stories like this because with immortality, the biggest trick I think that most uh, you know, filmmakers, writers that run into a wall at some point. The biggest thing that they run into, and this one's no different, if your character is immortal and they're not going to die, where's the threat of them having this conflict or whatever it is that they're dealing with? In Mermaid Saga, this comes up a few times where it's just like you're there clearly engaged in a conflict, but how do you make it so that the immortal is somebody that you have general concern for? A chainsaw. <laughs> you give them a weakness, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, beheading makes sense because, you know, as far as regeneration or stuff like that goes. And I think Takahashi goes a little bit further with it, and it helps it out a little bit in that if one of their major organs are removed, they can't heal either. Like, that becomes, I think, well, I think it's in the Ash, the Ash Princess or something like that, where, like, the guy talks about taking Yuta's liver out, basically. And if that liver is removed, he can't regenerate that. So it's like any major organs don't regenerate. So I took that as a speculation mm-hmm. rather than as fact. But I, I didn't know if that was the case or just my interpretation of it. I, I could interpret it as being literal. Um, maybe the beheading thing is literally just like... 
It's true. Again, it's it, it's like anything else with fiction. Like you're going to find holes somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's important that if you're going to make your character immortal, you have to have them have a weakness because otherwise you have no worries about the character's life whenever they get into dangerous situations. So I think it's important to have those in stories like this. You know what story is full of holes? Holes? You say holes. <laughs> <laughs> the Hobbit. Oh. <laughs> dry, bare, sandy holes. Or not dry, bare, sandy holes. They all just... I was gonna say my love holes. Yeah. Also, like, like just just to add, if you, it, it, from a humanity standpoint, if you try to take immortality and make a story about how great immortality is, no one's gonna give a fuck. I think the uh, one that uh, <laughs> challenge accepted. Th- there is one that I think does a decent job, but it kind of has a little twist to it, which is a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which it, it kind of talks about if you're born immortal, then it's fine. But if you gain immortality, that's where the problem lies because you weren't meant to be. I can see that. Yeah. Any other major themes in this manga that pop up to you guys? Uh, Consuming a forbidden item. Forbidden flesh. uh, Apples. Yeah, apples. Even the, like eating your pound of flesh sort of stuff shows up in fiction a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, This uses it very literally. Like, here's this... Yeah, you get like tales of cannibalism, like the uh, the Wendigo, or yeah, some shit like that. And th- this uses a lot of those same themes, and it, I mean it works to its effect as a horror story, because you think about this forbidden item that might kill you, but it might give you that one thing that so many humans want, which is immortality. But then once you get it, it's like it's not as great as you think it's gonna be. For me, a big one is taking mythology and folklore that's literally thousands of years old and interpreting it into a modern story or maybe not a modern but a modern medium like comic books yeah i like stuff like that anytime i get to see stuff like this in a video game or even just references to them uh like bloodborne's filled with shit like this i love bloodborne it's so good it is fantastic that that, that'll be our next stream we'll do bloodborne together oh buddy (laughs) It'll take us 5,000 hours. It's too hard. <laughs> it is very hard. I'm good. Don't worry. But you can, but, but, but it's doable. I've done it. It's doable. Not if for me. Do it, if I can do it, it's doable. No, it's not for me. I tried and I quit. <laughs> I failed. Not playing. <laughs> that that also talks a lot about like consuming a forbidden, not flesh, and that it's blood. Um, yeah. As far as the theme, uh, I, I don't know if it's you would consider this a theme or anything like that. But I think it... Um, the, the story brings up a lot of uh, contentment versus settling. I think that's a theme. I think. Yeah. I think. I think you call the theme of the story. Yeah, like you, like Yuta doesn't settle for anything. But once Mana comes into the picture, he See. becomes more content with his place in the world. But I feel like we can elaborate on that when we get more to characters. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So. Um. Rumiko Takahashi is very famous. She has a lot of very long-running series. Urusei Yatsura, Ranma 1 Half, Meizani Koku, Inuyasha, Renee, Mao. A lot of these things are 40-plus volumes, which if, if you're from a country where Superman's been publishing for over 50 years, doesn't sound a lot, but in Japan, that's a very long-running series. So, oh, she kind of has a style, and 
some tropes that are associated with her. And Mermaid Saga is a little bit of a divergence from her typical books. Hef, why don't you kick us off? Tell us how Mermaid Saga is a little different. And to me, it there are some ways where it's the same to one of her particular series. But first, start off with how it's different. How it's different? Okay. Uh... The biggest thing I can think of, and I'm probably, we're probably going to get flack when I say this, most of her characters are very whiny. Yeah, no, most, most that's, of the, that's just true. Most of them are children that like are just kind of stubborn. Yeah, like they're mostly teenagers. Yeah, yeah. I've found that Takahashi really likes character relationships, like mm-hmm. romantic relationships that have a little conflict to them. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. Li- she's not like a lot of these other authors that have characters that. I don't want to use the words happily ever after, but for the most part, like, her characters argue a lot. Like, they're constantly, like, yelling back and forth at each other. So, but there's points where, like, it becomes a little bit of a trope, where it's just like, God, that's all they freaking do. It's <laughs> just, like, yell back and forth. Inuyasha! So, yeah. Um, as far as, like, her tropes themselves, I think, again, like, characters that are a little loudmouthy, um, she also has... Takahashi's work is, I think, grown over time. Like, if you go from, like, Ursa Yatsura to stuff that she's made recently, like, you could almost sense a maturity in what she writes. Because if you go back and, like, read and watch Ursa Yatsura, it, it is a slapstick comedy, and it is meant to be. But, again, all these people are just kind of, like, slapsticky. Da, 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 da. Move on to something like Ranma. Ranma One Half, for those of you who don't know what that is. Uh, Ronda one half is kind of like if you took uh, if you took out the more mythological elements of Inuyasha and meshed it with Ursa Yatsura, it's like kind of in the middle. Like it's still slapsticky and has its like you know random comedy bits, but it does kind of co- make a cohesion into its own amalgam, I guess. But she tends to have tropes along the lines of characters that aren't want to argue back and forth with each other. She she she's more about like having her characters interact with one another. She's more character driven than she is plot driven. I would say very very character driven, and the relationships between the characters are very important. I would say if you're going to sit down and read all thirty whatever volumes of Ranma one half, you really need like those character flow charts to explain. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this character likes this character. This one has a grudge against this one. This one is that. Da, da, like oh, Ranma has a roadmap. Yeah, yeah, for sure. As far as how this one's different, uh, I'm not going to say it's not character driven, but it is certainly not as character driven as what. Her other series. Mostly because there's only like two consistent characters. Well, there's only two consistent characters, and the characters are already kind of established. Yeah. Like, as a quick thing, Yuta is an immortal. Yeah. He has been immortal for 500 years. His character doesn't really need to grow because he's been the same character for like 500. If you were 500 years, like old, mm-hmm. would your character change that much? Mine probably wouldn't, especially if the, especially if I'm like in my 20s. No, but I, I'd let people shoot me a lot. <laughs> he certainly does that. Um, and Mon is kind of Mon is kind of like the, you know, new immortal. A new immortal who's like learning, kind of I guess like learning the realms as far as things. So she's starting to. I just I don't think there's not as much trope 
with like having these characters argue back and forth because I think for the most part the character depth I mean it is as much as it pains me to say I don't think it's as necessary because the characters are already kind of established with what they need to be it also it, it's so short mm -hmm. there's not really time for those lighter moments mm. basically every page that we're talking to Yuta and Mana they're in some sort of dire trouble the the only times we ever get to see them have a okay conversation between each other is at the end of any one story where they they have their backpacks and they're walking down the road and maybe they have a couple quips between each other but that's it well and it's also like that's usually more like reassurance like you know they went through this awful thing they're having to deal with it for the rest of however long their lives are so they're trying to reassure each other that this is this is not the worst they're going to experience but it's also you know it's not the end of the world either I'm glad you guys had stuff to say here because I haven't read enough of her work to, to get at this in depth. Well, I can I can pull you I can pull you in. So, the exception to me is her most famous work, Inuyasha, uh -huh. where they are very similar in terms of kind of premise and themes, and mm -hmm. that they both are about Japanese mythology, Japanese folklore and taking those ancient stories and kind of bringing them into a modern medium. Mm -hmm. The difference being that Mermaid Saga ran for four volumes and Inuyasha ran for 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> but there, Inuyasha is significantly darker and more violent. It's not a horror, but it has more horror aspects than something like Ranma, Meizanikoku, uh, or say Yatsura. I think the first like three or four volumes of Inuyasha had that horror element to it, like much more so. Mm -hmm. I think she was kind of pulling her Mermaid Saga stuff from that, and then eventually fell into her, I guess you would call them her typical tropes. Yeah. It, it, but Inuyasha is a good blend, though. Yeah, like, it's a blend of between the two. It's a blend of, two. like, if you, to, to, if you were to take Mermaid Saga and Ursa Yatsura, or not, not Ursa Ranma would be a better example. Mm -hmm. If you took those two and you smash them together, you get Inuyasha. Yeah. Okay. I think that the first two villains in Inuyasha could have came right out of Mermaid Saga, Mistress Centipede and Yura of the Demon Hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they definitely could have been Mermaid Saga characters. And they easily. basically just stab Inuyasha a thousand times. Yeah. Like, that's just all they do for, like, 30 pages. Yeah, poor, poor Yuta, poor Inuyasha. <laughs> I, real quick side tangent. Um, I am convinced, and I have told uh, people this, Inuyasha is, live, is anime proof that you do not have to, have to be skilled to beat your opponent, you just have to carry a bigger stick. I accept that. I do too. Yeah. I mean, he... He's no, he's kind of what the shonen protagonist who never had like the Genkai character yeah, to actually train them. He didn't have his master Roshi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just he just fights. He swings his sword. He throws his blades of blood. I mean that that's basically all. My dad left me the sword. I'll swing it. Yeah. I'll swing it until they die. No shade to him. That's yeah. just kind of the lot he had in life. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Jumping into characters, this is normally our longest segment. This is going to be pretty short. <laughs> this is going to be a little bit shorter because uh, we really only have two continuing characters here, Yuta and Mana. Like, you got a lot of side characters, but there's not much you can say about them outside of, like, a quick snippet from the story. Yeah. 
this is like we said earlier it's a lot more plot driven than her typical book so who wants to kick us off with the immortal Utah uh, the fisherman in a way he reminded me of the few like uh, stories by the, how do you say this woman's name again Rumiko Rumiko Taka Takahashi Hot Takahashi Takahashi okay Takahashi. I'm always, like, nervous about pronouncing Japanese names, especially when I stutter and slur. Japanese is phonetic, so... I, uh... He really reminded me of the few, like, male characters of the stories of hers I've read, which is very headstrong, I'm going to act before I think sort of thing. And it sort of makes sense because he's immortal. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do to him if they don't know to chop off his head? I think he's more mature than, say, Ranma or Inuyasha or... Yeah, I, my, I haven't read Rama. Or my man Yusaku Godai. <laughs> <laughs> then again... There's a goddamn trash can out here. <laughs> <laughs> a rock you find at the beach is more mature than Yusaku Godai, but... He is more mature than Inuyasha. I just remember I was going to that fucking con and you and I <laughs> dying laughing whenever he said that. And yeah. no one else was, like, on board with it. But I that, think... That, that's like the one thing that reminded me of her other works in this one. Otherwise, I found it sort of different. Was he's a very headstrong character. I'm going to go do the thing. And then worry about everything else after that. I think is a lot more unique than a lot of his or a lot of her main characters. Mainly <clears throat> Takahashi does have a tendency to make her main characters uh, male figures. Yeah. You're usually Nate. Like her her core, core works are usually named after the main <laughs> the main dude yeah like Ranma Inuyasha Rene the Rene is another one that came I have not actually seen much on that one but I've been told it's it's Inuyasha light is what I've been told it, I I read six of them and I'm Just not a fan it, yeah. not a fan apparently he, they got that one got done and she's on a new one now I don't know Mal uh, but um I think I, I agree with Daniel in that he is headstrong. But again, like you said, he's immortal. What can stop him? But I think he also tackles a lot of his problems. Aside from when he runs off, mana! Like, whatever. <laughs> like, he does that often. He does, he does the mana but, the Inuyasha Kagome. But he doesn't do the whole over-dramatizing of everything. No. Like, or he doesn't, like, yell back and forth like at the female character lead that most of the characters usually he, do. He doesn't argue like Ranma or, or Inuyasha right. do. He, he kind of accepts, like he, he's better at accepting what a situation is, who a person is, and he takes it with a lot more stride than a lot of Takahashi male leads. So yes, he's headstrong, but it comes with a sense of wisdom gained from, I think, a, like the immortality that he's had over the years. He also knows that in most situations he's not going to die so if he goes rushing into a situation where maybe another one of her protagonists shouldn't have that he has more of a reason to be confident yeah well he's also and one thing i like is in a couple of the stories he's much more conscious that other people aren't immortal mm -hmm. he's not he's more conscious of people that will suffer and die from like the things so he he has more of a gumption to i'm not gonna say play hero but to act on their behalf which I very much appreciate. Something I like about him that's different from a lot of other immortal characters, taking uh, some elves from Tolkien for an example, elves in Middle-earth aren't always super concerned about the fate of men because as 
elves are essentially immortal unless they die in battle, whereas men and, and women, they, in Tolkien, they're called the race of men, I'm sorry, but <clears throat> they live out a normal life, and some elves would say that the life of a man is less valuable than the life of a mortal elf, and may think the same of a man dying that you and I may think of a cat dying. Like, oh, yeah, it's bad. We don't want the cat to die, but... Oh, does this mean I get to make an invincible reference? She's sure. M- she's more of a pet to me, Mark. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, I understand that joke, and you're a you fuck, you fucking mean person. But you, you doesn't like that. I need to watch the rest of that. <laughs> he values non. He values mortal life the same as immortal life. Yeah. That was really my closing statement. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I, 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 I like Yuta as like a male lead character, like mainly just because he's different from, like again, Takashi tends to have tropes, and her characters used to usually argue back and forth. I appreciate that we have a batch that the arguments aren't really as prevalent. Right. Okay, so Mana. Mana, I see actually as pretty different from a lot of her heroines. Yes, like you said earlier, a lot of her characters are kind of whiny, but I generally see a lot of her female leads as kind of having their shit together for the most part. Uh, So, for instance, Sango all of the Tendo sisters, fucking my, my, the queen, Kyoko Otanashi, like all of these women just have their fucking ducks in a row. And Mana doesn't. Granted, she was a prisoner of a bunch of crazy mermaids her entire life and kept in bed the well, whole time. The thing about it is her age. Yeah. She's only like 16, I mm-hmm. think, when she's, in, when she's mortal. She's only 16. Yep. And that comes from being... Essentially treated like a, a lady in waiting, almost. Like, you know, she's like this high figure that doesn't... I mean, they've got her fucking shackled. Like, she doesn't walk herself. Like, that's the level of high throne that they've placed her on. So she is kind of... In, in the first story, she's, you know, kind of a queen. And so a lot of the story that she gets throughout the rest of the series... Is her kind of coming off of her high horse of what would be a teenaged queen, which is to be kind of understood. Um, as far as Mr. Miko Takashi characters, I think that is most most of them are either teenage girls who just kind of have to kind of grab come to grasp with their feelings, or Maison Koku, which is the exception. So you know Kyoko is what product of a you know a death of a husband, so she got her shit together a little bit more than most. But uh, Mana's a nice divergence because it's like she's she's just that right mix of I'm a entitled teen, but I have to grow out of it. I think that works. I uh, I don't have a lot to say. My only uh, female characters I can think of from her are Kagome mm-hmm. and the nun. I can't remember the name of. Oh, God. it's been Sister so. Angela. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's been but... so long since I've read. And, and this character's not like either of them, really. Uh, I'd say she probably swings closer to something like uh, maybe Kikyo. Yeah. Kikyo is kind of different. Because she kind of has... 
there's this air of importance that Mana has when she's she first introduced, but she kind of drops that because she's no longer like the center of attention yeah. of that village after it goes away. She acts differently in the first chapter than she does in the rest of the series. And that's because, well, her whole world's been opened up and now she's on this adventure. Yeah. See, I think that makes her much more of a songo. Like, yeah. not only to say clone, that's, yeah. that's mean, but think about S- it. Songo, 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 Songo yeah. was a boss-ass bitch. Yeah. And she comes in, she just, like, got her demon. Was. Is. Okay, well, <laughs> she had her, like, family, like, with her, you know, the demon slang, so they were, like, you know, the cream of the crop. Could you yeah. throw that it's, boomerang? Yes. No. No, but you <laughs> Let me finish my point. <laughs> <laughs> but she, but, you know, she gets her, like, whole entire family slaughtered by Naraku, and all of a sudden she has to kind of reacquaint herself with what it's like to be a human that happens to have the skills that she has. I really want that. Whereas, whereas Mana is kind of in the same vein where, yeah, she's a queen, but she gets knocked off her high horse and now has to come to terms with, yeah, she's immortal, but she has to learn that being immortal is not what's going to be you know, driving her the rest of her life. She has to still be able to relate and be able to associate, like socialize. So there's... They both kind of have a similar arc in the sense that they're up here mm-hmm. and then they get knocked down by something and have to kind of reevaluate what they've done with their lives. I like this analysis. I, I, I now agree. You have won me to your side. I vote, I vote Team Songo. I think she she's Songo with just a little bit of a softer personality. Ooh. Yeah. Songo's a little bit more headstrong. She also likes her ass grabbed, apparently. Mana or Songo? Songo. <laughs> I'd like to say she doesn't, but then she she marries the guy. She, so she marries Moroku and has like what three or four kids? Some, I think three. So just just a quick side story. Me and my friend Carrie, who was guest starred on this podcast before, uh, did a fun game at work where we were like, "Hey, what anime archetypes are everybody here?" And she's like, "Daniel, you're just the pervy sage. You're." Like uh, Moroku? Yeah, you're Moroku. You're Jiraiya. And I was like, oh, I like, can't I can't even argue. I, I, you <laughs> I've, heard should, of, I've heard of worse comparisons. You yeah. should have responded, all right, baby, you want to touch my wind tunnel? I did. <laughs> she uh, she slapped me. <laughs> You're about to get sucked so hard. Will, will you bear, will you bear will my, you bear children? my children? <laughs> I, that is something I actually ask women. It's one of my I first eight questions. I could see you being more of a Jiraiya because you just go up and, like, Look for potential scouts for your new novel. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just saying, yeah. that's a pickup line. Yeah. Like, it's probably not a good one, but it's still a pickup line. <laughs> Baby, I'll base you off. Of, I'll base a character off of you. Would you like to see the cover? <laughs> it's got a bunch of X's on it. <laughs> kill you all! <laughs> I'll drive you crazy and I'll kill you all! I'm every nightmare you ever had. I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. Moving on to scary shit. Daniel, you have a good note here. Why don't you kick us off? Okay, one of my favorite stories was the one about the the two sisters. I don't remember the name of any of these Mermaid's stories. Forest. Mer- Mermaid's Forest. The twins where one's old and... And, and one uh, looks young, but it's revealed that she's been aging on the inside this whole time. Yes, that is Mermaid's Forest. And I just find that to be absolutely terrifying. The concept that like I could just look 35 but be 90... And just, I don't know, man. Something about that really got underneath my skin. <laughs> Especially when it comes to, like, uh, how she poisoned her sister just to see what it would do. Because she didn't want to do it to herself first. And then it was under the guise of, oh, no, I'm helping you. I agree. If someone were to ask me before they read it, is this scary? I would say, not in the way that 
watching The Exorcist for the first time or The Shining for the first time is scary, mm-hmm. but it's more conceptual. It's very conceptual horror. A lot of this is, and especially when it comes to like how people deal with their immortality or how they go about looking for their mermaids. That sort of shit is what's terrifying in this novel. There's or two series. There's two ways to me that it's scary. That, and then the other one is just like this physical violence that would almost like be too much for like for like an R-rated movie. Piano wire. <laughs> God. Yeah. There's a. That one hurt me to watch. I picture a live adaptation of this, and all I can think is like Ash versus the Evil Dead, but with mermaids. It, if you did a live a, live action adaptation of, of this, an American version would not be able to take itself seriously. Mm-hmm. A Japanese version maybe could, but uh, I, I think both of them would just have fun with it. So for the one that like really got me was the lost soul dog <laughs> that bites out Yuta's throat. Yeah. It's oh I mean maybe it gave me Cujo flashbacks, but that was that one was a lot. And you said the the piano wire. Piano wire was rough. Um as a um I know we'll cover it down the road, but I did I watched I read both the book and watched the series. Mm-hmm. It should be noted when you all watch this. The first, the first eleven, ten or eleven episodes, you, it was very clear they were given a budget, and they're like, we gotta be careful with this budget. We can't do anything. And then when they got to episode like eleven or twelve, they're like, we have a lot of fucking budget left. <laughs> Let's just blitzkrieg the last three episodes because the animation quality in those last like three or four episodes or two or three episodes. It's not even close. It's they go all out on those last couple episodes. So fun fact, like I said earlier, there's three adaptations. There's two OVAs, which if you're not an anime person is an original video animation which could be like a a TV special, a straight to DVD kind of thing, a web special. And then there is a 13 episode anime series from 2003. Only 11 of those 13 episodes aired on television. The last two episodes were deemed too violent yeah. for TV and went straight to video and DVD instead. That's amazing. It's, I love it. You can it. see why when you watch those last two episodes because the gore level is like so amped up. Yeah. yeah. I have not seen any of the anime adaptations. I'm saving them for my honeymoon. I mean, I'm, I'm saving them for when we cover them. <laughs> Did you see your honeymoon? Yeah. Did. <laughs> Let me put it to you. The last two episodes, I don't know if you noticed, are the ones where they meet the immortal boy. Oh, that kid. Yeah. What so, was his so, name? Masato. Masato. The go- um, am I doing serious shit now? Yeah, go. Okay, okay. G- there were two. Uh, there were two. Uh, the dog thing, absolutely. Like the fucking crazy dog thing. There's just something about even if you're immortal, if you're stuck in there with an animal that could literally just fucking kill you over and over and over again until you eventually triumph. Could you imagine the level of depression? Because I couldn't. Um, the second one, your Prometheus as, having your gut eaten. The second one to me is more. It, it goes along with the Masato boy because you find out like the boy is like he's like 800 years old, and he has to find. Like, I, think the, I think the overall concept is like he, he ate mermaid's flesh when he was like eight. So mm-hmm. he stayed a child and in order to be able to like blend in with society 
he has to take a new mother every like every hundred years or something like that. Yeah, it it's Mermaid Scar, and he's yeah. stuck as a child, so he has to have an immortal adult with him. So the idea that you have this per, this being in a child body with the mind of an eight hundred year old wisdom to go to behind it, but also they still interpret things as a child in a way like there's wisdom there mm-hmm. but it's wisdom from the aspect of a child whose mental capabilities have not grown much far probably past fantasy so all they know is basic survival instinct and absolute creativity so because the way that he tries to kill Yuta and, and Mana in those particular pages are among probably the most gruesome in the series and it's just all eight year old Eight, it's it's an eight-year-old mind with 800 years of experience. Like, this person would be absolutely psychotically dangerous because all they have in their mind is creativity to be like, I can kill them this way, I can kill them this way, and but absolutely almost no fear. Because, again, they're an eight-year-old child in the body of an immortal. Like, that's fucking terrifying. <laughs> Probably the biggest reaction I had, the most gut-wrenching thing for me in the whole series, was when Masato gave his nanny, uh, who was she, she was oh, getting married. Flesh. Yeah, oh. she, and she was quitting. I'm like, I'm here to say goodbye, and he's like, "Oh, please eat this mermaid flesh." Oh, that's a little fucked up. That was pretty fucked up. If you were to give a villain to the series, I think that one would probably. I think Masato would be the high point. Like he would be the arch villain, if you were to give one. Maybe yeah. Like it's pretty high, like because that's just like I don't know. It's, it, it, it's 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 one of one of my if not my favorite chapter, just because it's it, it's it's a meeting of not really I'm not gonna say equals, but you know you're on the same field as your opponent. And I think that's really that's really sweet. It's hard for me to pick, but if if you put a gun to my head, or sorry, if you put a chainsaw to my neck oh. and made me pick, it would probably be Mermaid's Forest with the two twins. I don't know. There's a lot of good ones. I also really love the Ash Princess. Uh, just mentioning her real quick. Natsume, the little girl from the Ash Princess, who was resurrected with the liver of a mermaid and cannot help but kill animals in the woods and, and eat the livers from their bodies. And tries to eat Yuta's while he's sleeping. Yeah. I'm sorry, I tried to eat your liver. Yeah, she's totally innocent. But I just can't help it. I just want to eat your liver, your immortal liver filled with your immortal mermaid blood. It's either um, Masato chapter or the the immortal brother with the doll. Oh, yeah, that uh, mermaid's gaze. I tend to like fucked up stuff. That one's fucked up. It's real fucked It's so fucked up that it didn't go to the series. So, like, it didn't go to the anime. If you want to talk about scary, the girl who was who drank mermaid blood or no who ate mermaid flesh and then was frozen as basically as a living corpse who could not move or speak and that and at one point is put into a dark room to just sit eternally awake and eternally cognizant but cannot do or say anything to affect their own circumstances. That's that's got to be horrific. I mean, you don't even understand the passage. Like you're immortal, you don't understand the passage of time hardly anyway. Mm-hmm. So like 
you're stuck in a box for a hundred years. Holy fucking shit! What else do you have to do except go crazy? Like nothing. You have nothing else to do. Sit in my head and recite the presidents in order again and again and That's again. That's not good. I don't. I only know the last four. I delete the rest after that. Uh, I I memorized them in high school and was able to recite them all in order. At one point, I haven't tried to do it in a few years. I maybe I still could. Top five presidents go. My top five. <laughs> no I'm kidding. You don't well, have to do that. another one. It would depend days. on like, like actual quality in office or my favorites. Because those just, are just, just your favorites. Those are two I different think lists. Barry Bostwick as he Barry Bostwick as FDR is number one, and then just regular <laughs> FDR is number two. See, for me, it's Teddy Roosevelt five times. Teddy Roosevelt is number four. <laughs> Thunder country. <laughs> I just picture him as a dude who would say bully a lot. Yeah, I'm sure he would. Um, so just some other stuff that we had listed here under scary shit. Uh, the lost souls themselves, which are the monsters of the people who fail to become immortal and turn into these grotesque things. You guys have any thoughts? I have like a really sort of dumb thought about it. And because I grew up as a gamer everything I do relates to video games and I just picture them as the fodder enemy all the time. Yeah. Like, we have to come up with a fodder enemy for this immortal series. These are things that ate mermaid flesh and just didn't quite work. They're the slimes. Yeah. Yeah. They're the pidgeys. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, I like the design on them. Yeah, I think they look cool. Yeah, for sure. I like that they had three different things that would happen if you had mermaid flesh. Like, you yeah. either become immortal you become a monster where you die. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I feel like if it was one of those, like, there wasn't a third option, it just kind of becomes a little less... Third. A, a little less detrimental as far as what happens when you eat it. Whereas you're... You're this, you're this creature that's mindless thing that just runs around, or you die, or you become immortal. I think the... I can't tell you why, but I think the addition of a third possibility makes it a little bit more... It sits a little better with me. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And... They don't all become lost souls. I, I really like the portions where some people eat it and then they just cough up a ton of blood and keel over. Yeah. So some of the pirates in uh, Oren's chapter did that. Uh, and then the other thing I had flagged up here is Rumiko Takahashi's adaptation of Face Off. <laughs> Can we just get Nicolas Cage to do this one story? Sure. Play, play them all. Hold on, honey. I got to go out to the shed. Goes out in the shed, puts a handkerchief in her teeth to bite on, then sticks a knife in her face and literally just saws her face off. What we do for our children. Oh. Or our grandchildren. In <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blah. The things I do for love. First time I read that, I didn't see that coming at all. That was no. a cool twist. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy fuck, that's cool. Kiss Me Fat Boy. Not a lot on the docket for Kiss Me Fat Boy, but just something I, I wanted to flag up. So, reading Rumiko Takahashi's manga as a 13-year-old and as a 33-year-old are... Very different. Very different 
experiences. Reminds me of the first time I like read an Inuyasha comic and then I saw Kagome naked and I just like stared at it in the Barnes and Noble for like 30 minutes. That's exactly, exactly <laughs> what I was going to flag up. Like I find the nudity to be extremely tasteful as a 33 year old and as a 13 year old, I granted, I guess like anything would set me off at that point, but yeah. You, you, you see a magazine that shows some stockings, and you're like, that yeah. first Dragon Ball Volume Six. Yeah, yeah. Where you, you, it's just you just see Bulma's breasts, and you're just like, I'm eleven. <laughs> what do I do with this information? I remember back in the day, I would see that and go, Oh, this must mean it's for grown-ups. It was it was Volume Six too, because I remember I remember seeing Bulma's breasts, Curry using the. Like her using the bathroom and Roshi trying to like catch a peek on her. Like, there's so many bad things in this book. How have I never noticed this? It's because I didn't hear it on TV. Japan never changed. Just let me know. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I do. I I think the biggest thing about Eni, uh, not Eniyoshi. Fuck. <laughs> We're uh, talking talk, about talk, mermaids. Talk about nudity is it's not it's not sexual nudity. No, it's, it's just it's, it's like female the female body. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. Is Utah Jesus? <laughs> I I think that's a stretch, but I guess he helps people. <laughs> he, he, he does come back to life. He builds stuff. I think if he would be giving people pieces of his flesh, he has an unconventional girlfriend. <laughs> he put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> he can technically take bread, aka money, and turn it into wine. I can turn money into wine. Am I Jesus? I have a beard. I have an unconventional girl. <laughs> uh, Mermaid Saga, most Catholic manga ever written, confirmed. <laughs> the Catholic Church will be just torn asunder with the level of rewrites it will have to do. <laughs> so, in The Power of Christ Compels You today, we're, we're talking more folklore, mythology than religion, though some people would argue they are the same thing. Mm -hmm. but, right. Uh, so, this is based... I like, I like your very graceful avoidance of what could be a hot topic. We're dodging this. Um, <laughs> like Neo does bullets. So, the actual legend of the mermaid that Rumiko Takahashi based all of this on is the legend of Yao Bakuni, which is essentially what we get in this story. It's mm -hmm. about a woman who eats the flesh of a mermaid. And actually, it, it's more specifically referenced in the book uh, with the nun that eats the flesh of a mermaid and goes crazy and, and kills the whole village. Mm -hmm. But. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm really into these types of stories that take real folklore and then kind of bring them forward into modern times and give them give these old stories to a new audience. And this story is referenced a lot in, or maybe not directly, but it's influenced a lot of the stories in games that I really like. Uh, and they're all Japanese games, so. And now it's also a good time to talk a little bit about the difference between Western and Eastern ideas of mermaids. Yeah. Uh, the big, like, for, I mean, I'm sure for a lot of us who grew up, like, in the 80s and 90s, the, the Little Mermaid Disney movies where you first get the idea of a mermaid in your head. And that's been super pervasive in pop culture 
the Japanese idea of a mermaid's a little different. It's like a bottom half fish and top half monkey looking thing that if you eat, you turn immortal. And to my knowledge, that's just not anywhere in Western mermaid mythology. No, and it's really more of a, a monster. Yeah. Right? Whether... It's, it's not like this beautiful thing. It's a... Because of Han Christian Andersen's story, mm-hmm. Western kind of civilization views mermaids more of, of like a different kind of humans, like humans that have evolved uh, in to fish and and are more you know they're they're not monsters they're just they're people and a lot of people in like modern times like link them to sirens interchangeably mm-hmm. like they'll draw sirens as mermaids on the shore as opposed mm-hmm. to whatever the sirens were supposed to be i don't remember i don't but what they all were originally were were probably walruses so anytime you're having a sexy mermaid dream you just think that those sailors saw walruses and yeah. that's what you're thinking about porkin. Is it, is, right. it, is that what Kevin Smith's tusk was about? I don't know what I, those words did not make a sentence in my head. He made a movie about a horror movie about walruses. Oh, <laughs> it's called Tusk. It's horrible, but I love it. I've never heard of that. My uh, addition to uh, he's thinking about guy. Tusk now. No, um, aside from the fact that Walt Disney decided that Dolph Lundgren was not the ideal leading lady for his film. <laughs> Uh, oh shoot! No, I had. I had <laughs> you had something. I did. I had something, and it just completely, it completely disappeared on me. Was, we, it was going to be factual, and I can't remember. Can we all agree that Jason Momoa was the best mermaid? No. Merman. <laughs> no. Because there's very little anything else he could be. <laughs> Extremely I, low on my list. <laughs> if I remember it, I remember it. I can't remember what it was. I had a thing on. I had a thing about. I had a thing about the mermaid part itself, and I just completely lost it. They think the attractiveness of Jason Momoa is extremely exaggerated. I'm willing... He's uh, the I, one dude I would go hard gay for. Haruge! Haruge! <laughs> yes. Am I the tiebreaker here for yeah. Jason Momoa? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I... Would you be his Khaleesi, or would you send him to, to die in the sands? I'm not gonna. I, I'm slow just, on the references he just tonight. He's unremarkable to me. He's a jacked up dude with a beard. You yes. can go to a lumber yard and find jacked up dudes with to a me, beard. To me, he looks unreal. Like the muscles, the facial hair, the tattoos. It just doesn't look like a real person. He looks like fucking Maui from Moana. Like I'm also sexually attracted to Maui from Moana. So. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. That's Just like, in case you didn't get Hefs, Joe. That's like 9% of my sexual fantasies. Okay. That's fair. Is Thick Rock. Yes. Thick Rock. Oh my god. Thick Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about... I'm not going to get into Thor Love and Thunder, but it has... It has what is probably the best Dwayne the Rock Johnson joke of all time. Possibly only tied for the one in the, in the Stand remake. Okay. It is hysterical. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Is it worth watching? Do you think The Rock's alive? Do I think The Rock is alive? It's, it's from The Stand. It's a reference from The Stand. Oh. It, yeah, everybody in the world dies, and they're in this oh. little colony. I think The Rock made it. <laughs> you think he's alive? 
that's like one of the scenes that actually got us. <laughs> because you would be thinking, like, if there was an apocalypse, you'd be wondering, I wonder who made it? <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson does have a special place in my heart. <laughs> Like he's just—I I love the idea of a celebrity that's just generally up for anything. Black that is—that is—that is a man who is generally like, yeah, I'll do that. Like way too many Jumanji movies. Doesn't, I mean, but that's—that's that's part of his charm, though. I think. Like he's yeah. generally up for anything. It's why he was my fan cast for Shazam, and now he's Black Adam. Because I pictured he could play like a nine-year-old boy in an adult body. So he could have been Shazam, the the, yeah. the hero. Okay. That was my fan cast. I'm not mad with what I got now, because I really like that movie, but... Oh my god, are you Stephen King? No, I'm Dean Koontz. Oh. Kings and Koontz. Let's see who it says going for half. Oh, I'm going first. Hey, that's yeah. what the paper says. What the paper says. And the paper is king, not Koontz. Oh, stifled by LOL on that one. Uh, so, my king is uh, the maturity of the characters. I know I said earlier that this isn't exactly uh, a Takahashi story where the character depth is really explored, but I like I like that these aren't your typical. Takahashi characters like I very much appreciate that as somebody who has kind of read Takahashi's works over the years and usually her characters are their own kind of tropes like granted they're unique to her but it's still kind of her trope and it kind of gets tiresome over time so I I appreciated the characters as they were and uh, I also really liked Mana and Yuta's relationship like, it's a much more mature relationship than you typically get out of Takahashi's characters. And I feel like the bond between them is a lot more solidified, so much so that it doesn't feel the need to be mushy or angsty at points. Like, it's a much more mature... Uh, it's a much more mature connection, and I think that's that's something that I appreciate much more as an adult than I did when I was younger. And I, I really appreciate that now. Um, my Koontz. Uh, I have two Koontzes. Um, the first one is that there's no real conclusion. Like, there, we really didn't get an ending. Now, granted, since they're immortal, we could kind of interpret it as... They don't get to have one. They don't have one, <laughs> right. It's just they live throughout eternity together, which can be a conclusion into itself. It's still one I kind of would have liked to see. Mm-hmm. Um Another Akuns that I have that I have no real justifiable reason. So this is not necessarily what I would consider to be a detriment to the novel to the novels. What I would have liked to see is instead of what we got where Yuta is in kind of the modern day mm. and he meets Mana in the modern day and they kind of have their you know, their occurrences with the supernatural and various horror elements like throughout modern times and then you kind of get backsplashed with Yuta's uh, kind of comings and goings throughout life what I really would have liked to see is Yuta finding Mana much earlier so possibly you know like in the 16th century okay. something like that and then as they go through have some of the stories tied to like major historical events so like they're having 
yes, they're dealing with all these, like, trying to find mermaids or these immortals or things like that, but have them be, like, much more sporadic over time Mm -hmm. and include them into, like, major historical events where I think, like, you could have kind of gotten a little bit bigger of a plot line. One of the things that I thought about was, like, what if somebody was in the Japanese government, Mm -hmm. but they were the same person throughout multiple points of history they just mm-hmm. changed their name as like a descendant or something like that and they're slowly you know altering government like policies or example would be like somebody being the shogun they meet an immortal that's actually was a shogun from the past like you know in the 17th century whenever they existed like things like that i think would have been kind of cool if if and i granted i agree that you know this was in her spare time it was mm-hmm. supposed to be shorter like Darth Fish yet. Yeah. But if you were to like take it and make it a little bit more grand of an aspect, I think that would have been a cool route to go. But that's, again, I want to emphasize, it's a Koontz, but it's not to its, def- not to its detriment. I, yeah. think, I, think it's, I think still what we got is great. Yeah. I wouldn't change it. But if you were to give me more, that's what I would ask for. My king is when uh, the guy was going to cut off Yuta's head with a chainsaw, and Yuta uses his legs to smash out the windows, and then uses the window leg ledge's leverage to throw the guy out the window. That's pretty sick. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he just goes for like the most metal thing you can think of for his king. And then my king was that it was too short. Or my coons was that it was too short. Okay, uh, uh, my king is when you she took mythology Mm -hmm. and used it to come up with a short little horror anthology Mm -hmm. I love it when people take mythology or things from history and just use it to create a nice little story and create a nice little horror spin on it not that the story didn't have its own horror spin to it to begin with but I wish Matt was here because I would be like oh so you're a huge Percy Jackson fan (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my Koontz is actually sort of a uh, combination of twos of yours. Is that there's not a real conclusion, which leads to it being too short. <laughs> I actually kind of like that there's no conclusion. Yeah. I, I've found that as I get older, I enjoy ambiguous endings more. When I was in high school, I wanted everything to have a clean cut end and have every couple to end up you know, oh, we're, we're going to be together forever and we're going to get married and we're going to have kids and just everything to be like, yes, this is the end. But I, I like I like having to think about it more as I get older. I just picture them doing the same thing from the four volumes for eternity. So. Yeah, pretty much same <laughs> yeah. for me. I can appreciate the idea that since they're immortal, mm-hmm. there doesn't need to be one. Like, I'm not... An, Again, I, I also think that it'll be very off-putting to general audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, if they hear spoilers for it first, you know, that's on them, I guess. But <laughs> Spoilers for a mermaid song. <laughs> yeah, we put spoilers at the beginning of this for a reason, but... For a 30-year-old comic book. If they find out that there's not a real conclusion, they might just decide to not read it, and then they'll miss out on the good parts yeah. about it because of that. I think this is one of the few stories that, like... Well, I mean, you, you guys are probably at least in the same with some mermaid. How many animes have you watched that just have such an ambiguous ending that it just irritates the shit out of you? Too many. Firely too many. Elfin lead. At the very least... Well, I didn't like anything about <laughs> Elfin lead. At the very least, this one gives you maybe not a conclusion, but you understand that since the characters are immortal, mm-hmm. there doesn't necessarily need to be one. Yeah. So while it is a coons for me, 
it is kind of something that I kind of had to pull out of my ass to be like, well, what is something I would have liked versus what I got? And really, there's not a whole lot I don't like about these novels, so it was kind of a... I, I would have liked it to be six volumes. Yeah, and when I say it's too short, I, I don't want it to be 40. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit more. Just a tiny bit more. Like yeah. One more chip. One more chip. I'll take the mermaid flesh and eat it. Okay, Daniel, we got to rank these... So this oh, is hold on before we do ranks. I'm gonna surprise you with the top five. Okay. Okay. So you heard about our top five list on our Discord. This is a surprise top five. I've had an infinite amount of time to construct a top five list. You guys get five minutes to make one. While you were out of the room, I had Ryan choose A or B because I came up with like four or five of these and I narrowed it down to two. So he's getting he's gonna get his timer ready. Oh God. I'm gonna go ahead and pull this up. And we're going to pause the recording. <laughs> Why we do this? Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to have you sit and listen to panicked sighs. Do I have a notepad? Son of a bitch. <laughs> no, you got a notebook. You're fine. I don't have a pen. <laughs> I didn't bring a pen. Well, lucky for you, I have a pen. Well, I pens. have about 40 over here. <laughs> yeah. Give me a pen. Or your pens. Pen. Thank you. Okay. Oh, that's not, that, that's not my notes. That's my files. That's not me. Okay, so I'm just going to spoil what A was, what Ryan didn't choose, was the top five stories about eating flesh. Oh, that would have been a good one. Yeah. So instead, you get the boring top five mermaids or mermaid-adjacent characters. Uh, I'm cool with that. Yeah, mermaid-adjacent, because I wanted it to... I didn't want to be Mr. Picky. If it looks like a fish and it fucks like a fish, I will I will count it. Is Sebastian a mermaid-adjacent character? Mm, need, need a little bit more person. Oh my god, I okay. just remembered my random joke I was going to tell earlier and I forgot about it. <laughs> okay, I won't start the timer yet. Go ahead. Okay, so there's a TV show from the 80s and it's called Red Dwarf. I have referenced it a few times. Not on a podcast, but just a people. I love the one where he goes golfing. That's the one I'm talking about because they have the mermaid come in and the mm -hmm. mermaid is a fish on the top and a woman on the bottom mm -hmm. and someone makes a comment about it and he's like, I always thought they'd be like a woman on the top and the fish on the bottom. And the one character that's like talking to her, he just goes, no, that's the stupid way around. And then he licks his lips. <laughs> <laughs> now both ends smell like fish. And it's so funny. <laughs> okay, five minutes, go. And we're back. We are back. It's your game. Who's going first? Uh, I will go ahead and go first since I've had an infinite amount of time to do this. Okay, so my top five mermaids or mermaid adjacent characters are Mither Hydra from Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth, because she is thick. <laughs> my number two is Umbriel from Futurama because I want to spray my seed on her eggs once she lays them. <laughs> my number three, I, I'm the Morocco. We've been over this. <laughs> Why could she be the opposite kind of mermaid? <laughs> my number three is Lori Lamaris uh, from Superman fame. She is the Superman who took, or she's the Superman character who he fell in love with and wanted to go to Atlantis for. I think he recently appeared in uh, year one. Yes, she was in year one. And issue it, two. And then the my number four is the mermaid from Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> and my number one 
is Damia, the blue sea dragoon spirit from Legend of the Dragoon. Holy shit. <laughs> I forgot about that thing. Who's next? Ah, uh, let's do half. Because <laughs> he, he just beat the buzzer. Okay. <laughs> like 10 seconds. So, I'm going to go from least favorite, I guess, to favorite? Yes. Yep. So yeah. five, okay. So, my number five is Turtle Goofy from Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. That's, no, that's good. Associated character. Are these all going to be from Kingdom Hearts? No. Okay. But more of them will be. <laughs> number four is Mermaid Gundam from G Gundam. <laughs> That's a good answer. I like that. That's okay. bad. <laughs> no, Who's next? Zebra Gundam? <laughs> no, just Mermaid Gundam for this particular year. <laughs> okay. It's got some pretty cool weapons. Yeah. Three so got is, a trident. Three is Eric from The Little Mermaid because, and I quote, he drove a fucking ship through Ursula. Yeah, he, uh, he impaled her. Yeah. It, it's like her and Olaf for getting impaled. <laughs> yeah. So. I've been impaled. Yeah, buddy. There you go. All right. Number two will be the most unpopular opinion over there is, is the mermaid from the fourth Pirates movie. I haven't seen it, so I can't judge you. It is consistently considered as to be the worst, if not the second to worst of all the Pirates is movies. It, I agree it's the worst. I, I blacked out <laughs> almost all of that movie. Let me tell you something. That's actually my favorite Pirates movie. <laughs> that, that's, that's I wish there. I could comment, that's but I, I blocked it out. <laughs> I love Jeffrey Rush and Jack. Like I love, I love their like I, I the the Will and Elizabeth Swan thing just mm -hmm. bugged the shit out of me. And to see a movie without them in it, and it was just Jack Sparrow and Captain Barbosa doing stuff, Do, doing I mean, Jack that's Sparrow's the fifth one. one too. I agree. With, <laughs> I like the fourth one because of that. All right, and my number one. <gasps> Bated breath. breath. Is from the one episode of Pokemon where Misty drops, dressed up as a mermaid. Ah, I think his list might be the best. Nope. Nope. Okay. Ryan, are you ready? Number five. The Walruses from Disenchanted. <laughs> and the prince who wanted to fuck them. I love that boy. So funny. He's, he's, he's in, if you ever watch what we do in the shadows, he's one of the vampires in it. Oh my god, that's so good. He's so funny. <laughs> that's such a good answer. Uh, number four for the One Piece fans, uh, the princess of Fishman Island, Wimpy Hoshi, who, real quick, she she's a princess and she's never allowed to leave the castle, and Luffy sneaks in and meets her. Her name isn't Wimpy Hoshi, it's like Hana Hoshi or something, I don't remember. But she's like, I can't go outside, they won't let me. So Luffy bullies her and starts calling her Wimpy Hoshi until she leaves. <laughs> he takes her out of the castle for the first time. Uh, number three, the merman from the cabin in the woods. Yay. Yeah. Number two, Umbriel from <laughs> Futurama. Who Ryan also wants to spread the seat on the eggs. <laughs> yep. And number three, Ariel, but not... The Little Mermaid from Fables and The Wolf Among Us. Yes! <laughs> That's a good list. I'm happy with our lists. I, all three were good. Okay, we gotta rank this thing. Uh, this is the fourth comic we have covered here on The Horror of Babylon. So far, we have reviewed The Stand, Gotham by Gaslight, and Master of the Future. Uh, my list is Gotham by Gaslight, The Stand, Master of the Future. Yours is The Stand, Gotham by Gaslight, Master of the Future. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember who the paper says is going first. One moment. 
one moment. Rankings, Daniel. Where are you putting Mermaid Saga? It's number one. It surprise. It's number one for me as well. Yeah. Love the stand. Love Gotham by Gaslight, but this just hits a lot more of the uh, the correct spots for me. Yeah. If this is too short, then Gotham by Gaslight is way <laughs> too short. Yeah. Not that I think it really needed to be longer, but yeah. I think I think you might have been able to get more out of a Jack the Ripper story with Batman. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> so now we're moving on to homework, and we had. Two pieces of homework, one from Hef and one from me. Okay. Hef, what was your piece of homework? My piece of homework was a very general question of what mythological creature, other than a mermaid, of course, mm -hmm. doesn't get enough mermaid. love in popular horror fiction? And Hef, since it's your game, you get your first yeah. shot at the field goal. <clears throat> so since we're talking about mermaids, the mermaid itself is not what I would consider... Uh, again, that one doesn't get enough love. But I did feel that there's a creature that's along the lines of a mermaid. Mermaid adjacent. Mermaid you adjacent, say. yeah. That doesn't necessarily <laughs> get as much, and that's called a Kelpie. Okay, mm, that's all, a good one. Do you all know yep. what a Kelpie is? Yeah, I do. Well, for the listeners who may or may not know what a Kelpie is, a Kelpie is basically a seaborne ghost, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's basically a spirit that haunts, if you will, bodies of water. So, in typical, I, th I, th I think the general, it's a Scottish legend, I believe, a Scottish belief that um, it's a spirit, and usually in the form of a horse. Mm -hmm. That I, I was going to say, in Shin Megami Tensei, they look like ghost horses. Yeah, in, in typical Scottish uh, lore, they're, they're horses, they're horse spirits that basically... Uh, possess the spirit of a river, like in the, within like rivers, locks, bodies of water. So they're basically like ghosts that haunt bodies of water rather than like houses or anything like that. So whenever I was, we were talking about mermaids and various things like that, I thought that was kind of one that like, I don't really feel like I've ever seen a real good story about. Yeah. Like not singularly by itself. Mm hmm and I think that's one that, like, if somebody out there has any Kelpie stories, hit me up, my dudes and my ladies, because I would very much like to see a good adaptation of a Kelpie, because I don't think I've ever seen one. And I think it's a, I think it's a cool concept, like the idea of a body of water being haunted. Okay. That's my answer. Who's next? Is it, is it me? Yep. Okay, uh, so mine is the, the Minotaur. And I could only think of like two times I have ever seen it used in horror fiction. And that was an American Horror Story, where it was briefly used. I think it was in Coven. And sort of tangentially used whenever people make adaptations of the story Cowhead, which is sort of a Japanese urban legend of the scariest story ever written, that as soon as you hear it, you'll drop dead from fright. And it uses a lot of sort of... A person with a cow's head imagery, and those are the, and then I I googled Minotaur horror, and I found a like a D list straight to DVD film that was just made, and and that's it. That's cool because I, I I can only think of one Minotaur instance that I can immediately remember, and that's mm -hmm. in Greek mythology where it's like the guardian of the labyrinth. Yeah, it, that, that that's like where the story well, comes from. And the only the only thing I can think of that even makes a rel like a like a reference to that is mm -hmm. there's a Batman the animated series episode where. This guy builds a maze, yeah. and Batman and Robin have to get through it. I'm the Minotaur. And, and once they get into the maze, the final thing they have to face is a Minotaur yeah. that asks them the final riddle. So I would like a Minotaur horror story 
like a well like a well written one not like something I mean I'd probably even settle for something campy but it's a lot of fun but I just I think it is an underrepresented monster that has a little bit of potential especially with being like lost in a labyrinth a dark maze I think it could be used I like that idea Nargles. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not Nargles. <laughs> uh, giants. So, giants are used a lot in fiction, but they're not used a lot in horror, and when they are generally used in fiction, it's always... they're misunderstood. It's... oh... Oh, he's so scary. He's a giant. He's bad. And then it's like, oh no, he's he's a friendly giant. He he's gonna do all this stuff, and he's real nice, and he's gonna be our friends. And no, I need the only like thing I could come up with where they are scary is Attack on Titan, and one is not enough. One is not enough. I agree with that. Giants are fucking terrifying. They're scarier than werewolves. They're scarier than vampires. They're scarier than zombies. They'll grind your bones to make their bread. Being eaten alive, especially by something way bigger than you, is like the scariest goddamn thing. The answer is giants, but also kind of nargles. <laughs> like 20% nargles. Whenever I have, if whenever I return a book to Audible, they always ask, "Why are you returning?" So it's full of nargles. Is that a comment that you physically type in? Yeah. You're a good man. Okay. Uh, second piece of, of homework: Who is Yuda's best waifu? And if you want to say aside from Mana, or if you really just love Mana and you want her to be your answer, that's fine. But just some. You, and doesn't have to be one of these, but just some examples could be Oren from the Village of the Fighting Fish, or Toa and Sawa from Mermaid Forest. Big eyes, if you really like that guy. Yeah, if you like that ship. Nye, Natsume, Akiko. Um, That's the Chris Hansen choice. <laughs> <laughs> so who, who's Yuda's best waifu? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna go even including Mana. I think Oren and him had really good chemistry. I'm going. I'm going over in. I think. I think. I uh, when I first read that story, I honestly thought that was like a flashback. That was going to be who he married, mm -hmm. and that she was going to grow old and die, and that was going to be the ending to that story. Because he does say at one point that he did marry and have kids and and had a life. Yeah, and that's who I thought it was going to be, and that's just not what ended up happening. But that's. I, th I thought there was a really good chemistry. I thought it was a really well written story. I'd even put her above Mana. Mister Half. I concur. <laughs> um, I like women with a little bit of spark in them. Um, you like planeswalkers? I do like planeswalkers. I like Liliana. Yeah. Speaking uh, of I, which, I none of our top five mermaids came from Magic the Gathering. Kiora? Is Kiora? Is she's she not mermaid? be. I'm not. She's a fish. She's mermaid fish. adjacent. Tha Tha mermaid adjacent. I mean, she would not. She would not be in my list neither with Thassa. Thassa is the is the big one okay. I was thinking of. Um. In terms of like white food, I, I like I, I don't know I, I, I like a woman who won't take my shit. <laughs> like I appreciate that because I'm I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Like you and you probably know I'm a lot to deal with sometimes. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm a lot to deal with. Like especially in like personal home life. I mean, I, I know we all are, mm -hmm. but I like I I appreciate a woman who's just like, no, nah, bro. Like I'm I'm not dealing with this. 
So I, I appreciate a woman that has a little bit of fire in her. So Oren is definitely if it's not Mana, it's it's Oren. Ryan, tell us why Natsumi is your favorite. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Have you ever seen a dartboard? <laughs> I could see it in his eyes as soon as I made the Chris Hansen joke. <laughs> How fucking adorable is this? <laughs> Charlie McGee level adorable. She could eat my liver. So, oh. Soaking alcohol. Oren is a close second. She's real. She's really cool. I just like. I think that was just a sweet ending, honestly, for her. Like you know, it's just like he's you know he's like pedaling away. She was just he's just like I had a dream, you know, and then she just cries and she's like I had the same dream and it hurt my heart. Yeah. Yeah. It was sad. I miss it a middle man, I feel it. That honestly might be the best part of that whole thing. Like, I love Yuta's stuff, mm -hmm. but, like, the rest of that was just kind of like, this is kind of a low point for this book. Mm. I thought it was only okay. But her character really defined that story arc. Yep. Okay, question for the listeners. Please hit us up on our socials. Let us know what other horror manga or comics you'd like us to cover. There's definitely mm -hmm. a lot of them out there, and we've definitely talked uh, Daniel and I have reviewed some and we have some on our, our short list but give us some other ideas and if you like Mermaid Saga or if you're going to read Mermaid Saga and maybe think you'd be interested in some other stuff we have some suggestions in our further reading section of course Inuyasha if you like Rumiko Takahashi Inuyasha is the other work that is closest to the themes and the style of story that you get in Mermaid Saga. Mm -hmm. also, also a currently syndicated sequel going on right now. Yeah. Uh, and Yokai Doctor by Yuki Sato is another uh, great one that kind of takes Japanese mythology and incorporates it into um, modern day Japan uh, about a, a kid who's a literal doctor of demons and the girl who trips into his life and all the fucked up shit that happens and then also uh demon days by peach momoko is a it's a marvel comic that adapts x-men in feudal japan hmm. uh it's only five issues long it's really really good it takes like classic japanese folklore uh, type characters and, and kind of meshes it with marvel so for instance uh Thunder Demons, if you remember the Thunder Brothers from uh, from Inuyasha, they also appear in Demon Days, and, but they're Storm and Thor, who are, are twin siblings who are these Thunder Demons. Uh, there's a, a loyal wolf who is the surrogate of the main character, and that lo wolf, his name is Logan. There is a... Whoa. <laughs> there's a <laughs> there's, uh, it's really good uh, it ended a while ago but they're actually doing a second one which is an adaptation of Civil War where uh, Tony and Steve are samurai and I'm super pumped for it can't wait to read it oh are we doing you want me to read the ones I suggested uh, Shadow Over In's Mouth uh, probably the uh, second most well known H.P. Uh, Lovecraft story. After it's, it's in the top three. Uh, the top three, at least. After Love Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read Love Actually as written by H.P. Lovecraft. Sure. Um, 
Call of Cthulhu and At the Mountains of Madness are the other two like most well-known ones. You know, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies was how Seth Graham Smith got famous, and now he's like a huge movie producer. Maybe your thing would be a rewriting uh, Love Actually as H.P. <laughs> <H>. Lovecraft. <laughs> I could try. He His stuff enters the public domain super soon. Yeah. So, uh, it's about I people who... I need to adapt the, uh, the Mountains of Madness in the terms of Love Actually. Okay. I, need, I need the blobs. <laughs> no, that one would be When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take like '90s rom-coms and turn them into H.P. Lovecraft stories. This sounds fantastic, and please send me the script. Uh, Shadow over Innsmouth is about people who become immortal through a deal with sea monsters. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like this idea. I don't want to spoil how they become immortal. I have the, I have the story. I'll have to read that. Yeah. Uh, School Mermaid, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the vastly inferior horror manga about mermaids. And then finally, Siren, which was created by the uh, director of the first Silent Hill game, which is about a village of people from feudal Japan who ate the flesh of a god and all became immortal. Hmm. And that's the that's that's actually a twist ending you have to unlock by finding every file. But the game is so convoluted and obtuse that I don't think any of us will ever do it, so I don't feel bad about spoiling it. Also, highly recommend uh, the episode of Futurama where they go to the mystical city of Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I'm real. I have, I have two recommendations. Give me your eggs. <clears throat> I have two recommendations. Yay. This is a siren. It, it is called Siren, but it is not the same siren that Daniel is referring to. This is a TV show that is endorsed by Sci-Fi originally but I believe is now produced by what's called Fandango, I believe is what the TV program is. The movie ticket people? Yeah. yeah. I'm probably wrong on this. It is currently on its, like, I think fourth season. It is a story about it's a TV show. Mm -hmm. It's a TV show on, like, you know, just basic cable TV. I think it's being streamed now on, uh, on Hulu, I think is the big thing right now. Um, it is... It's about a, a group of... It, it's about a couple that find a mermaid. And uh, the mermaid itself is being tracked in kind of like a kind... You know, like your typical, like, government knows this exists. Mm -hmm. They're not... People aren't supposed to know this exists. Um, in addition to the actually felt fairly in-depth plot, it deals with a lot of particular questions about sexuality Ooh. that I think are actually pretty interesting that they even try to tackle it because I think one of the big things in it is that the, the couple that are in that their main characters in it are also falling in love with this mermaid so it becomes kind of a polyamorous kind of a situation they both want to fuck the siren basically it's it's interesting the way they go about it. Like Bad. it's it's a TV show that I never really gave a lot of thought to. But if you're into like mainstream TV and you need something to watch and binge for a little bit, uh, Siren. It's a you'll you'll notice it by the mermaid girl on the front. Um, for those of you manga lovers, it's an older manga. Good luck finding it. Is there a third horror manga about mermaids? There is not. Okay, um, yeah, I was going to say. This is by the aforementioned Yu Watase that Ryan and I were talking about earlier. And this one is called Alice the 19th. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember reading that one there, bud. I haven't read it. 
I have, I'm aware of it. I have all seven volumes of it. Um, it's about a girl. It, it's basically Alice in Wonderland, but with horror elements. Oh, that sounds cool. Like, the idea is that there's this girl named Alice. She's in love with her uh, sister's boyfriend. And what happens is that this dark force comes out in, after the discovery that this power exists within Alice and kidnaps her sister and replaces her with a, with a dark entity that their entire job is to demean Alice to the point where she can't actually physically manifest, manifest her powers anymore. Hmm. And her only counter to this is the, the boyfriend of her sister who she's slowly becoming affectionate for and one of the rules in the book that she is stuck with because of this demonic entity that comes in here, she can never tell the man, the boy she loves him. Okay. It, it sounds kind of girly. It is kind of girly. I'm, it, I'm fine, I'm but, fine but with it. But it has a lot of horror elements to it. Like the dark, because they have to go into the dark realm every yeah. now and then as like psychic people that are able to try to fight the darkness off in this like this Alice in Wonderland kind of scenario. I'm fine with girly shit. It's actually really good. Yeah, like, I'll read I, that. that sounds it, interesting. It's seven volumes. It's real short. Yeah, that's not it's, bad. It's got if you're looking for like horror manga, that's you know, that's just weakened for me. Yeah, it, it's 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 much more character driven than what's typical. So highly I like, recommend. I like you want to say I would check out anything of hers at least the first volume. Mm-hmm. I agree. Hi Thor. Those are my two recommendations for both mermaids and horror manga. And, I mean, Junji Ito, obviously. But El Gyo! Oh, El Gyo! Oh, my God. That's mermaid adjacent. <laughs> it is mermaid adjacent. That fucking book still fucks with me, man. We will be covering Gyo in Season 2 of the Horror of Babylon. Spoiler. Please bring me back for that. We will. Sure. <laughs> okay. So, upcoming on the Horror of Babylon next week, we are we have our episode on It 2017, the first of the two new adaptations. Our next book will be Sunday, July 24th. We will be covering Carmilla by J. Sheridan Lefano. And that's a novella. Uh, we, there are some adaptations. We're not going to be covering them at this point, but we may do bonus episodes on, on those at some point. Yeah. And last Sunday in July is It Chapter 2. We will also be dropping a bonus episode comparing It and Dean Kutz's Phantoms at some point during July. And then the first Sunday in August, August 7th, we are kicking on Fire Salem's Lot coverage with the novel itself, Salem's Lot by Stephen King. And the following Sunday, we will do the first miniseries from 1979. I love that miniseries. I feel like Casey Kasem should introduce it. <laughs> uh, but yes, also make sure to check out Hef's playthrough of Amnesia The Dark Descent. New episodes dropping on our YouTube channel every Wednesday at noon. Other than that, thank you, Daniel, and thank you, Hef, both here for uh, joining me for this. I did not think we were going to go almost two hours on this. Yeah, that's a lot longer than I thought we were going to do. For sure. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned for our socials, and stay scary. Stay scary, everybody. Stay scary, bud. And now for the obligatory socials. Please like, share, and subscribe. Follow Daniel at DStarSick on Twitter. Follow Ryan at Darth Damio on the Bluebird app. You can find the podcast on Twitter at HorrorPod69. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Slasher, and Goodreads. Become part of the Disturbed community by asking for the Facebook group and Discord links.
Send dick pics to the horror of Babylon podcast at gmail.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash the horror of Babylon. And finally, you can let your friends know that the horror of Babylon is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podcast Addict, TuneIn and the iHeartRadio app. Stay scary.